You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings. The NFL. Football. Yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Welcome all of our podcast listeners, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, live from Lucky's 13 in Roseville, and uh, we're here giving away Vikings tickets as we will be also in Plymouth on the 8th, the 29th in Bloomington, and the 13th in Burnsville, so we're doing quite a few of these. Did the last one with Manny, now Courtney, your first try, glad to have you here. I, I feel like I'm in the Halloween spirit, this place is decked out. I, I wish I wear a costume today. Why didn't you wear a costume? Okay, so what Minnesota Vikings related costume would you wear? I would have absolutely been Jeff Overbaugh, the long snapper who who caused the Minneapolis miracle last oh, year. Okay, let's just start out by explaining this to everyone in Lucky's 13, how a <laughs> long snapping issue gone wrong caused the Minneapolis miracle. Yes. Why don't you explain that? So I believe it was in the third quarter. Yes, third or fourth quarter. So it was late in the second. It was in the second half when Drew Brees was pitching the comeback. The Vikings gave them two short fields. The first one came off of Case Keenum's interception, and then the second one came off a blocked punt that led to a short field, I believe, somewhere around the starter, around the Vikings' 40-yard line, and then a touchdown. Or then, yeah, a touchdown. Because right. then the third short field was Mackenzie Alexander, allowing a fourth and ten completion, setting up the gate, the go-ahead field goal. So, so I don't know if anyone finds this as funny as we do that a backup long snapper was what accidentally caused the Minneapolis miracle to happen because Jeff Overbaugh, the snapper, went the wrong way and allowed the punt to be blocked. And he wasn't even supposed to be there. The thing was, back in the Green Bay game, which would have been three weeks before on December 23rd, 2017, the current long snapper, Kevin McDermott, separated his shoulder. So he had to undergo surgery. They had to sign somebody quickly. They found this guy in Alaska, of all places. I mean, that's where I would go to find a long snapper. Uh, You know, just a guy literally off the street. He had been with the Bears, I think, at some point. He was with another team, I think the Broncos, during the preseason. But they signed this guy. He's there for a couple weeks. And then he's the catalyst for arguably the greatest play in postseason history. One of three, but I'm just going to give it to him because I think the moment is so hysterical that he went the wrong way on a blocking assignment and got dismantled and there was all the blame was placed on Emmanuel Lemur and it was just a funny thing that happened that we have talked about I think ad nauseum since January 14th. What I love about this story is that no one finds it as hilarious as we do that there's this random connection to the Minneapolis Miracle. So let's talk a little bit about what we remember from it as we go into Viking Saints this week. And I also think it's funny that um, our promotions director, Fenske, was Facebook-living our part of explaining the 
stinking long snapper. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, let, let's talk about this. We game. have a very niche following. We, we do. But, and yes. People love talking about the long snapper. Um, yeah, all sixteen people, mostly former long snappers, <laughs> enjoy listening to our long snapper talk. But so when, when we think about the uh, Minneapolis Miracle and what it meant to cap, sort of capping last season. Unfortunately, they go to Philadelphia and they lose and they never show up in that game. So the moment for fans to take away is the Minneapolis Miracle. What do you think that meant to finishing off last season that way? And what do you remember the most from it? I mean, last season was so improbable. You have your starting quarterback sustain a non-contact knee injury week one, and then he's out for the year. And then you have Dalvin Cook go down in week four, he's out for the year. So you have a backup in Case Keenum who had been a career journeyman and was never expected to get the team this far. And to his credit, a lot of the wins that they were in, of course, the number one defense solidified everything for the Vikings last season. But Case played out of his mind in a lot of games and helped spark this thing for them. And I think that encapsulating that in the narrative of the miracle – that was so improbable. What an improbable way to win. It's literally a miracle play. As Kyle Rudolph said today, it wasn't really. It didn't, shouldn't have taken a miracle for them to beat the Saints in that game, considering they had a 17-0 to lead at halftime and then allowed them to come back in because of their own mistakes and some defensive mistakes. But it just kind of it felt like it was like, of course this happens. Yeah. Of course Case Keenum leads them to the NFC Championship. Of course they get there because of some last-second, last-ditch effort throw to Stephon Diggs. It just happens to be the greatest moment in NFL postseason history. And I thought that it capped off a year that would go down as one of the most memorable overall in Minnesota Vikings history. And that's why maybe this year has not felt like it's had the same sort of pop even when they win games in New York or against the Arizona Cardinals, it's like, yeah, you were supposed to win that game because you spent $84 million on Kirk Cousins. But last year, because we didn't know that Case Keenum was going to have the season he had, everything felt kind of dramatic and Hollywood for Case Keenum to be a guy that was a backup and was undrafted, and he's throwing to Adam Thielen, who's undrafted too, and it just had this sort of special storyline that carried all the way through and then you had a number of like landmark things that you'll remember like great games along the way but also Teddy Bridgewater coming back for a couple of plays from the injury that he had and then to have it at the end this miracle play that just took over the sports landscape for the ESPNs and NFL networks and every local radio station in the country talking about it. It was something that I had never really experienced in my reporting career. And I think that even fans, no matter how long you've been watching the team, that's something that you only get to see once a generation is a season like that. And then a play like that. Yeah. I remember the day after I tried to encapsulate where that stood in my rankings of games I covered. And then I whittled it down. Okay, let's do best walk-off type games I've covered, you know, last-second wins. And I, you know, covered Christian Watford when I was in college. He hit that last-second three against Kentucky, uh, which became the Watt shot. It kind of became this cult uh, classic, kind of like this game is almost, you know, an NFL lore. And 
um, covered Ole Miss beating Alabama on a last-second touchdown drive when they were to become the number one team in the country. And then with this, I mean, it rose immediately to the top of the list because it just doesn't happen like this ever. I mean, it's it's one of those moments that will go down as a storybook ending and those are not, you know, for such an improbable run with this team and how they got there in the first place when they, everyone counted them out after week two and you see Case Keenum against the Steelers, you're thinking, okay, it's going to be a really long season if this guy has to be the backup quarterback fulfilling the starter's role. And everything just kept going their way. They got helped with a lot of luck around, around, along the way. I think week six, a lot of people remember with Aaron Rodgers going down, that blew the whole thing wide open. They helped themselves along the way. They got help from the way the rest of the NFC and especially the NFC North panned out. But that game itself, I think, is one of the most memorable moments in Vikings history, if not the most. Yeah, it's it's definitely up there in terms of moments that actually go the Vikings' way. I mean, most of the most memorable Vikings moments are a wide left kick or two mm-hmm. or, you know, things that... Uh, people would remember for not being good or the tragedies that go along with being a Minnesota Vikings fan. Now, this one, they get a moment they can hold on to that was great. And to beat a quarterback like Drew Brees in that situation, it felt like everything was coming together. And I understand why the Vikings went to Philadelphia last year thinking that they were just the team of destiny and we're going to make it after a play like that happens. And, of course, that didn't work out. Now, compare and contrast for me because we went through that whole season and we were there every day and we're you know, watching this team reel off win after win. I think it was eight in a row at one point. Yep. Last year's team to this year's team, there are not that many roster differences aside from the quarterback, but there is a different feel where – you get the sense that it's just been harder. Like, everything has just been harder than it was last year, in part because players are getting hurt, and some of the things that they got lucky on last year they haven't so far this year, like the fumbles and the fact that Case Keenum only fumbled once all of last year, and Kirk has already lost five. Well, I think the expectation is so much higher this year that whether you believe in Super Bowl or bust and how long that actual window is, I don't think I never have thought it's one year only. I think it's a three year window at minimum, just given the three year contract. It's almost now like that last year was okay, if you win games, great. You weren't expected to be here. Nobody thought you were going to be here in the first place. Despite the number one defense, despite everything else that happened to go your way, if you lost games along the way, there would almost kind of be this understanding of. That's not what you expect, having a backup quarterback and not having your top draft pick from that year that was really did usher in a new era of the run game in Minneapolis. It's, it's amazing how much expectations shape how we view a season and players and things like that because last year they go 13-3, and so immediately our expectation for this year is, well, they've got to be somewhere in that same yeah. range, right? And you and I talked about before this season that it was going to be a harder road, especially since the schedule makers purposefully match you up against hard teams if you're the best team in your division. But I think part of this year's early slow start and the frustration around it is that the expectation was, again, to be right back where you were. And even though there have been some reasons that they haven't been so far, you know, they're back on track now. And they've got this game that I look at as a prove-it game against the New Orleans Saints. So what I want to do with you is go position by position and talk about how these two teams match up. But first, for anybody listening who is here at Lucky's 13, 
Uh, I want you to come over and enter to win tickets, Vikings and Lions. We've got them over here. Just write your name, put it in that thing, and in about a half an hour, we will pick out somebody's name and give you Vikings and Lions tickets. Also, we've got an extra microphone if you want to stop by over here and tell us your Minneapolis miracle story, if you have one, what you remember about it, what you loved about it, where you were, feel free, or if you have any Vikings questions. So let's talk about... um, the quarterback position, Courtney, yes. and Drew Brees. And last year in the Minneapolis Miracle, Drew Brees is forgotten for his incredible performance in the second half. And this year he's come out like he really wants to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, he's been the best quarterback in the league this year. How do you expect the Vikings to slow down Drew Brees in this game? Well, it's going to be hard if you have a rookie cornerback. And we know how Drew Brees, he's indiscriminate, is what Mike Zimmer said about Sean Payton's offense. And I wrote this today that... He's also indiscriminate in the way that he picks apart defenses. Like, he'll go after, he went after Terrence Newman last year. He went after Xavier Rhodes on multiple occasions. He picked apart Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander. And now you look at a guy like Holton Hill who's looking at his first career start in the NFL against Drew Brees. Good luck. I mean, that's, that's, that's the matchup that if I'm Drew Brees and, and you already know that he's going to tip his hand at this, that that's, what he wa- that's where he's going to aim. So as annoying as it is for Vikings fans to go up against Drew Brees who's playing this well, I've been thinking about this all week with Drew Brees, that having quarterbacks play into their late 30s at this high of a level is one of the reasons that passing is so high now because a Tom Brady or Drew Brees might have been retired by age 35 or 34 years ago. I mean, someone like Jim Kelly retired at 33, I think. And that just would never happen now. Now you feel like 33 is a quarterback's peak. And instead, it's 37-38 because the league finds ways to protect them. And even though I'm as frustrated as everyone else with some of the penalty calls, I think it's great that Drew Brees is still in the league. I mean, you look at Kirk Cousins, he's 30, and he's not a franchise quarterback yet. He's on his way to becoming one. Um, but the fact that that starts, that's kind of the age that starts at around, like, you know, 29, 30, that's pretty impressive. And I think that, you know, in Breeze's case, he's been doing this so long that it's like every time we see something, his 500th career touchdown pass last week, breaking the completion percentage record, which everybody every year is breaking it. That's mm-hmm. the one that I wonder, where are we going to see the ceiling, um, you know, Obviously, with offenses, with, with West Coast passing attacks, you can dink and dunk your way to a completion percentage record like we saw with Sam Bradford in 2016. But the way that Drew Brees has done it, um, you know, the last few years specifically, is really, really impressive. And I think that he's – it's almost like he's getting better at 39 when you expect guys to start declining. They have a lot of talent around him. As you mentioned, that game in January is forgotten – for the incredible performance that he and Michael Thomas strung together. I mean, yeah. that was coming back from 17-0, scoring 14 unanswered first, and then getting into a shootout against the Vikings' defense uh, is nothing shy of remarkable. So let's talk about Kirk Cousins and his season so far. Um, I, I will give credit to someone on Twitter who jokingly said that I love criticizing Kirk Cousins. But I think over these last few games, there have been some moments where you kind of wonder – about if if he can take them to the next level when he can't convert on a third down in New York or when he flings the ball up in the air into the secondary, it's intercepted against Arizona. And I, and I don't think that that's asking Kirk Cousins to play at a Drew Brees level, 
but it's also suggesting that maybe some of these shortcomings of his, some of these brain freezes that he's had could cost them in a big game like this. And when you look at how he's played against elite quarterbacks, I mean, his one playoff appearance against Aaron Rodgers, and they blow a double-digit lead, Washington did. Mm-hmm. And last year, he's going up against Drew Brees, and he's in a shootout with Drew Brees, but guess who wins it? It's not Kirk Cousins. So that I think that that's the one thing that I look at and say, will he be able to have a big game against New Orleans here and quiet me on this subject and also give fans confidence that he can win a big game because that's the that's the question about Cousins. It's not can he put up 4,000 yards. It's can he go toe-to-toe with some of the best and win. And he has throughout his career, but not in a situation where this is a very early playoff indicator. And as you said, he's had one playoff appearance, no playoff wins. The fumbles are an issue. And Mike Zimmer said as much. John Filippo has said as much. And it's something that we're not seeing go away. Some of the mental gaffes uh, with the backwards pass in, in New York this past weekend. Um, that's one thing I worry about because every fumble that you've seen – uh, the ones that where he's been in the pocket and either not stepping up or not sensing pressure, every single one has either led to a score on the other end, whether it's right away or an eventual score, or led to a game-winning stop like the one for the Rams. Like, If you eliminate a few of those, that could be the very small margin between wins and losses because that's, that's just how small it is for good teams in the NFL. But I think with Kirk, it's... It's something that's been with him throughout his entire career. I don't know how fixable it is. On paper, of course, you've, we've talked about this. You change your depth in the pocket. You you realize that Rashad Hill, if he's playing left tackle for Riley Reef, can't hold uh, you know can't hold Cameron Jordan or whoever's going to be on Chandler that Jones, side. Yeah. Uh, Chandler Jones, um, you know, that long. You, you do your job in that sense to help out your offensive line, which is you know kind of been a mishmash this entire year. But I don't know. I honestly don't know how much longer it's going to take for those to go away because they haven't gone away the last four years he's been a starting quarterback. So something I've been thinking about with Kirk Cousins recently is that he has these two elite wide receivers in Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. And what Adam Thielen has done this year is nothing short of incredible. But I wonder, like, how good do we think his supporting cast really is? I, I wrote an article comparing it to what he had in 2016 in Washington before the season and I couldn't figure out how this one was better than that one when he had his best year because they had a great offensive line. They had two dynamic tight ends. They even had a, a running game that averaged four and a half yards a carry. With Delvin Cook not playing this week against New Orleans, it feels like Cousins is playing majorly shorthanded because that's one of his three best weapons as a wide receiver as well as on the ground. Yeah, and I mean, that's... He, but he hasn't been able to depend on him all season. I think that they've schemed around that, and they're going to be without him more than likely until after the bye, at, at minimum, of him coming back in Chicago. And that's something that I think is pretty worrisome. But at this point, it's more so of just like Dalvin's comeback this year has been completely derailed by nagging injuries. And it's more so, I think, a disappointment for them because they haven't, the Vikings' game plan has not been missing any sort of piece without Dalvin in there. I think it was a smart decision to bring back Latavius Murray. It certainly is paying you dividends now. But the running backs aren't being aren't able to be involved in the passing game 
nearly as much as what they would get if Dalvin Cook was there. And I think that's the element that's missing because we're not seeing a screen game. Mm -hmm. We're not seeing the short, quick passes to the running back. A lot of it, I mean, what they started in Philadelphia in week five, like utilizing digs in that with the short passes, forcing runs to the outside, it's a smart game plan, but it's also – you know, they're limited in what they can do because they don't have that element from the run, which is what made them so explosive a year ago. And something Kirk had in Washington that was Delvin Cook-like in just the passing game, not the running game, was Chris Thompson, mm-hmm. who a lot of people don't know and is one of the best running backs out of the backfield in the NFL. So he had that, and I think that really helped boost his numbers, run the screen passes, even some of the, the bootlegs, dump-offs to running backs and things like that. And now I feel like he's playing shorthanded without Delvin. And the, the question is whether you look at this Delvin Cook situation and him being out and the fact that he's only played five and a half, six games, depending on if you count the Rams game or not. Ten quarters. Uh, ten quarters of NFL football. And as good as he's been, that's it since they drafted him. And, and, and it starts to look like two different things. It starts to look like one and drafting a running back is a very risky proposition, even if you love the guy. And number two, is this going to be an issue going forward where we always talk about what he could have been instead of what he was? I've had to talk several people off the ledge on Twitter and other social media forums, um, just given the news that I reported yesterday that he's probably going to be out until after the bye. Um, I think when you take a look at Dalvin, and obviously fantasy impact aside, you wonder about, okay, this guy has 36 carries for 98 yards this year. That's a massive disappointment. But it's not completely on him. We knew the offensive line was going to struggle. Did we know it would be this bad? Probably not. Before, like Up until week four, I think that running backs were getting hit more behind the line of scrimmage there is about they were averaging about two yards, I think, behind the line just because when they were hit before they made contact – that's bad, and that's nothing he can control. But the run game, I think that they've changed it in the last few weeks, and I wonder how effective it will be once they are able to get him back in there because they're realizing with shifting personnel around, I think Brian O'Neill has been fantastic over at right tackle. I'm still very suspect on Rashad Hill, even though you know I know he got some positive praise from Pro Football Focus this past week. I was very surprised by that. Um, he said he had his best game of the season. I don't know if I agree with that, but... I think um, the Jets just weren't that good. Yeah, I don't either. And even even though they weren't able to run the ball in the first half, um, nearly at all. I mean, Latavius Murray gets that first touchdown. He only had 25 yards rushing at that point, which I think is just wild when you think about it. Um, they found a good formula for it, and it's been enough to get them by in games. Like when Kirk Cousins, those first four weeks of the season... It's putting up 31 points against uh, the Rams and, you know, going you know toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers there in Week 2 to force overtime. He didn't need the run game. He had, they had to abandon it in circum- certain circumstances because of the flow of the game, and other times it just wasn't there to begin with. So I think that they can win this season without it. It would just be really nice for him to have some sort of support, and I think it's going to be tough to do when you take a look at this run defense. Yeah, without having that extra guy to throw screens to, it must be they don't feel like Latavius Murray can really run those, even though they've said that they thought he can. But He's just... never been great at it. That's just not his role. He's a bruiser. He's your you know downhill running back, and I just don't think that that's something... You know, even when I covered him in Oakland, that was not a role that he fulfilled. That's why they had him as part of a committee because they were able to bring Jalen Richard and, and DeAndre Washington in to do just that and let him focus on what he's good at. Mm-hmm. 
We're not seeing a whole ton of red zone scoring, which I know was talked about today at the coordinator's press conference. And um, it's because they're scoring longer touchdowns, which I know is just kind of like looking at this in the basic thing. It's like you're, you're glad you have it either way. Take caution when looking at red zone stats. Um, that's the area I honestly expected this season Latavius Murray to be most successful at and you be that goal line back that he was last year. But the production they're getting out of him right now is nothing shy of, you know, really, really good. And they're thanking themselves for being smart about this and restructuring him and making that a priority this offseason. I just want to remind everybody in here that we are giving away tickets to Vikings and the Lions game here at uh, Lucky's 13. If you come on over, come on by. We've got these little cards to fill out. All you do, write your name, put it in that box that she is holding up, and then we are going to draw a winner. Free tickets, Vikings, Lions, no reason not to come write down your name. And if you want to share any stories from Minneapolis Miracle or ask any Vikings questions. We've got a microphone up here to do it. Matthew Collar from 1500 ESPN. Courtney Cronin from ESPN. No autographs until we're done recording. And uh, come on over and and fill one out. Try to win Vikings and Lions tickets. Um, So with uh, Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, they've had a lot of success this year. And the conversation is moving to not just are they the best tandem, because I think that's clear, but is Adam Thielen the best wide receiver in the NFL? And I, I'm a I'm a brake pumper on that. As much as I like Adam Thielen and think he's good, I, I think that we have to talk about it in the context of both wide receivers because they're both so excellent that they make each other better. I don't think that Thielen deserves to be quite in the conversation of an A.J. Green or Julio Jones or Antonio Brown, but... At the same time, you could say that this tandem, having two elite wide receivers, it's almost impossible for opponents to stop both of them in, in each week. Yeah, and before we get to that, I want to back up because I remember when we were, I called into Mackie and Judd a few weeks ago. I think it was after the Eagles game, and you asked me on there, um, is, he, is he in a class of his own right now? Who else would you put in the same class? And I said, it's hard to think about it in that context just because he's eons ahead right now at that point of of everybody else and I mean of course DeAndre Hopkins is in that class Antonio Brown um you know AJ Green Odell Beckham I mean look fastest receiver to 5,000 yards you know in his four seasons I mean there's he's in good company but why why won't you put him in that in that realm yet is it just because of body of work and not in only seeing it really over three seasons what is it I I think that with Thielen and and this is not a diss on him because he's an incredible player I I think that some of the other guys have more physical capabilities than he does like an AJ Green or an Antonio Brown guys who are a little quicker or can jump a little higher or whatever who are just as technically gifted as him and DeAndre Hopkins is a good example of this guys who can individually take over a game and I think that what Thielen needs is Stefan Diggs with him in order to do that yeah now and that's, that's hard to do I, when... I don't want to penalize him for that for having a, a great partner but to me I look at it much like when the Jaguars had Jimmy Smith and Keenan McCardle, and I've, I mean, I've made the comparison a bunch of times, but it's the best tandem I could think of where individually those wide receivers were just were just really good, but they weren't like a Jerry Rice or someone, you know, Terrell Owens or Randy okay. Moss who could just do anything, that they, they had each other, and that's what pushed them to the very top. And, again, that's not a criticism of Phelan. I, I just think that that's one of the drivers of his success. I think what will take him, and you're to – 
clarify this in your mind from what I'm hearing. I think what will take him to that next level is the consistency that he's shown this season. So would you be willing at the end of the year to essentially reassess that? Because if he continues on this trajectory, I mean, eventually the 100-yard receiving streak will stop because at some point they're going to put the number one cornerback on him. That's the problem here, why you know we're not seeing Stephon Diggs get going as quickly. Well, when you have the number one cornerback or you're double teamed, I mean, that frees up Adam Thielen to do what he's doing. And Thielen can get separation in ways that I don't think a lot of receivers have mastered that. I mean, he's the one, the the touchdown that he caught uh, on the opening drive against the Jets, he had no room. Yet he still made that happen somehow. I remember someone asked him after the game, he's like, How'd you get separation? He's like, Well, Kirk, actually, I feel like Kirk caught that for me just with how perfect and the precision of that. So, I mean, I think that you can honestly credit Kirk Cousins for, you know, so we talk about this mutually beneficial relationship between both Cousins and Thielen. The reason they're both so good, they're number one receiving, you know, quarterback receiver duo. There's there's reason behind that, and I think it's obviously their chemistry. And part of the reason too is that di- of what's happening to Stephon Diggs in game to open up those types of matchups that Cousins wants to exploit because he sees a better look with Thielen. Would it be? Um unfair of me considering that their offense has scored points and produced and Stefan Diggs has great numbers to question a little bit how they're using Stefan Diggs with a lot of the screen passes and things like that I mean I, I like it to some extent and I liked how it threw off the Philadelphia Eagles but at the same time I just am not sure that throwing him screen passes is really the best way considering that last year on contested catches he was number one in the NFL he was Especially the in the red zone, the too. He was right. the best receiver in the red zone. If you throw it up to him, he'll go get it. And it really doesn't seem like Kirk Cousins has done that or that he has many opportunities to do that. I agree. I think that the role that Diggs is filling, though, is you know they're going to take the offense where they can get it. And there's a reason when Kirk is under pressure, Adam Thielen's numbers are so high. Um, however, because when he's reading that, he's about to have you know a – 295 pound like you know nose tackle coming through I'm trying to think like Mike Daniels coming through on that play um and he finds Adam Thielen uh, for the go-ahead touchdown to send them to overtime before the two-point conversion I think it's because he's looking out as quick as he can to find that first read and it's probably Stefan Diggs wherever he is and seeing hey there's no chance but because of the defender that's on him and I, and that's you know You'd like to see more production out of Diggs and seeing like where this can, you know, the target share is about equal right now, but how it's going to balance out, it might just take a few more weeks. So let me ask you, do you think that the Minnesota Vikings will win this football game? Are I, you picking the Vikings? I, I, picked, the I picked them earlier. In my initial pick them in April, I was projecting them not to win this game. But um, I think given the streak that Cousins and Thielen are on right now, there's something special about that chemistry. And, yes, the Saints' defense is really good, but they're also bottom five in pass defense. That run defense is going to be just very hard to stop. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball nearly as effectively, even as they did kind of getting in creative against the former number one run defense in the Eagles in week five, um, forcing runs outside, getting you know play designs to the perimeter. They can probably try to replicate that here, but I wouldn't expect more than, what was it that game, 77 yards rushing, like 80 yards. If you get that, that's fine because you're taking some pressure off Cousins. But with the way that they play at home in recent weeks too, I think they've got a good chance to win. I think I picked them 31-28. 
I mean, it's a if you look at like the betting lines on this, which I just kind of looked at last night. Mm-hmm. It's a pick'em game right now. I think that e- even Vegas and, and a lot of the odds makers are unsure how to think of this because you take a look. All right, over the next five weeks, this is one of the biggest tests for the Vikings defense to spark their next five weeks. And it's like I agree. okay, you go into the, the beginning of the season. You can you do what you can against the Packers and then the Rams. Those are the two hard games there. And then it's like every single quarter, it's kind of like you have your hard games and then a lull. Hard games and a lull. Now it's like, okay, you have the Saints. The Lions are no slouch. I feel like every year we try to figure out what this Lions team is, and I still can't figure it out this year given their wins and losses. Um, and then you come out of the bye – and you've got Chicago in Chicago against that defense when you're probably going to be facing a healthy Khalil Mack and everybody else is banked up on their defense. Um, you know, for, for this offense, it's a huge test. But I do think defensively for the Vikings, it's an even bigger test given the quarterbacks um, and just some of the explosive playmakers that they face. So I, I think I want to wait to pick the game until I know if Xavier Rhodes and Anthony Barr are playing. I mean, I is, just, does that I, make a huge difference? Yeah, but I've already, in my mind, ruled out both of them. They didn't practice on Thursday, uh, two straight days of that. As much as Mike Zimmer says, yeah, there's a chance. Um, he says that with a lot of players, and there's no chance Dalvin Cook is playing this week. Um, and he still said that yesterday. So I think that you take a look at what that says and just even knowing, hey, like let's if you're thinking about like long term in that picture, you're not gonna rush those guys back. So you need Xavier Rhodes down the road. You hope you can get by with Holton Hill right now. Down the roads. Down the roads. Is that, is that what they've been mean? open lately. Don't tell him that, but they've been open. I saw a stat today on Football Outsiders that the Vikings have held opponents' number one receivers to the least amount of value in the league or something. Like the DVOA stat from Football Outsiders, that they've performed pretty good against opponents' number one receivers, but it doesn't feel like Xavier Rhodes has been great this year, right? No, I think he's been hurt at other points, too. I mean, we saw him kind of, you know come in and out of games and go back in and obviously with the ankle injury he couldn't uh, put weight on it walking off the field in New York so that worries me and for for I don't know Rhodes has had a really up and down season it just feels like the Rams game when he got pulled off the field for the touchdown pass that Trey Waynes had to slide over and cover Brandon Cooks which he didn't do um he didn't, I don't think he had safety help on that or that's not the I'm thinking of the Cooper Cup one um but no, yeah, that one Brandon Cooks uh, was a covered by Xavier Rhodes because he was off the field because he kicked a flag right. the play before. It just hasn't been a great start for him, and yeah. I think this defense, as much as we talk about the idea that it was going to take Kirk Cousins in the offense time to gel, which it certainly still is. It's they're they're getting towards finding a run game, however they can do it. They didn't think it was nearly going to be this big of a struggle. Then they found out what their offensive line looked like. The defense. Those first five weeks of the season, that was more of an identity maker than anything else. I mean, they were installing a lot more a lot more wrinkles to this defense to try to confuse opponents, and I think they confused themselves a little bit in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that big picture, we will look at this game and decide based on the outcome what it what it really meant. Yeah. Like, if they lose this game and then go on a winning streak, we'll decide that they were inspired by the loss. Or if they win this game and go on a winning streak, it will be that was the turning point of the season, really, when they, when they beat them. And I think those things do exist. It's just hard to know which way they're going to go. But if they go into this game without a couple of key players that are hurt, 
and they could beat Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints, to me that would say a lot about the character of the team and maybe point us in the direction of a similar year to last year where they overcame a lot of different things like their quarterback going down, their running back going down, and it would say something about their leadership and chemistry that we were starting to question a little bit early in the year. I think I'm going to pick New Orleans, though. I, I mean, they, they're they really, really good on offense, and they've got a great offensive line, and if Everson Griffin doesn't play, I think it's going to be really tough for them to pressure Drew Brees. They have so much talent around him. This strikes me as a shootout, and they got the biggest gun. Like, they do. They, in Drew Brees, they have the most dangerous weapon, and so in a shootout, I picked that guy. I think when we talked about the Green Bay game and like how we were picking that in week two, we said, okay, the Packers are better, are significantly worse at every other position than quarterback. When you flip, when you do that on the flip side here with New Orleans, their run game is better right now. The receivers are probably on par. I mean, yeah. I think Michael Thomas has been fantastic this season. Um, and their defensive line is is really good. I think they're this is probably, in my opinion, outside of the Rams, their biggest test of the season, bar none. I agree. Um, so how many points do you think it takes for the Minnesota Vikings to win? Like, they will win if they score X points. I said 38 on the radio the other day. That's uh, a lot. But it's 31 now. I, I've dropped it just like just like the line has changed and it's now pick them. I'm dropping mine to 31. Okay. My I think I picked my score earlier was 31-28 or 31-27 because we've got to have a missed field goal in there somehow. Okay, before we wrap up here, and if anybody has not yet come over here and stopped by and uh, put in your name for Vikings and Lions tickets on November 4th, Feel free to do that. Just put your name in the box. We're going to draw a name, and then you win tickets. Uh, also, if you're just about town, we're doing uh, Lucky's 13 appearances in Plymouth on November 8th, also the 29th in Bloomington, and December 13th in Burnsville. So look for those. Um, but, Lindsay, who works at Promotions, you have a good Minneapolis Miracle story. So please yes, tell us. Oh, I'm excited. Yes, I do. It, it was exciting. It was woo. I want to have too much feedback. Okay, you're good now. Excellent. Okay, there you go. The Minneapolis Miracle is actually my very first Vikings game ever. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I can't ever go back. No? (laughs) No, I I don't don't think I could. I don't, well. Are you afraid of blacking out like I did during that moment? Basically, I had to save somebody's life from going over the the overhang because I was right on the edge, right at at the end. Obviously, there was a big play at the end, and everyone knows that, but. This kid, I swear to God, he was jumping up so high that he almost went over the edge, and people were kissing, people were freaking out. So how close mayhem. to the field were you? I was, were you way up? Or I would you... like to say I was like middle, I was in the section between the nosebleeds and the rich people seats. So it's like in that <laughs> overhang when... There's a word for that. Yeah, we just don't know what it's called. It's called buy your seats the night before the game <laughs> exactly. on a whim. But I was like when Sandejo got knocked out. That it was right in front of me when that happened. Oh, okay. and that yeah. whole sequence of events when Rhodes went psychotic, and then Michael Thomas, you know, catch that pass. And so that was the end zone where they scored. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was on the just the far sideline. So, but I got to see everything. And my, the person I went with, he was actually sitting down because he was so, he was convinced it was over. I'm like, yeah. at least give him the respect of standing up for the rest of the game. And like, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. This is Minnesota Vikings. And then that happened. I don't. I have video of it. I don't think I've watched it yet because I think I was going to wait until the end of this year. But 
it was unreal. And I think once a week, I think at least, I go back and I watch that Twitter video of uh, the call with the Celine Dion sound because oh, that's the cool <laughs> yes, thing to do with the yes. social media these days. Have, it, have you seen the Titanic version? Like, they tr- turn every dramatic right, play Right, but that's, into, a, that's the oh, one. That's, that's the, the one. Yeah, yeah okay. because it's brilliant. You. But they do that for every sports moment but these that days. One, yeah, that the one is a really one. good one. That was like, like the original Crying Jordan one because that's the one that went viral first. You guys like Titanic? Yeah, I loved it. All four hours of it. Man, it's long. Double VHS set. That's where it's at. Okay. Were we saying Billy Zane? Weren't we just making like comments yes, no, about I love, him? I love Billy Zane. Thank you, Lindsay, for telling your awesome story. And uh, anybody else, we're going to wrap up our podcast. But anybody else could come over, talk a little football with us. I think we got one. You, uh, like? Oh, I'm so excited. Hello, sir. Hello. What is your name? My name's Corey. Hi, Corey. Hi, Corey. What's up? How you guys doing? We're doing great. I want to know what you guys thought about Everson Griffin's role. Mm-hmm. When he comes back, uh, Daniel Hunter playing really well on that side. Um, Weatherly's been good. Like, mm-hmm. how do you see him kind of getting back into the fold? That's a great question, Corey. Thank you. Where were you for the Minneapolis Miracle? Just watch it on TV. Oh, yeah, I screamed like a thirteen-year-old girl at a bar. <laughs> Did you cry? It was awesome. I, oh, of course, hugged everybody, strangers. I it cried awesome. when the Cubs won the World Series. So I think yeah. it's. I think it's. It's accepted now. I mean, it's always been accepted, but like grown, bit, grown adults should yeah. cry when sports, good things in sports happen. <laughs> right. I mean, the greatest moment of my like adult sports fan life was a divisional round. <laughs> I know, right? Hey, when you, when you look at it man. like in the grand but scheme of things, you're gonna like, have to move to Boston if you want better than that. <laughs> she's from. Oh, oh, she's love talking them, yeah. World Series with her. She's sure, super fun. and and Stanley Cup oh. and Super Bowl and so just, gross. yeah. Well, uh, anyway. the answer to your question, I think um, if he plays this week, which we don't know yet, mm-hmm. um, I think it'll be to rotate in that they'll mix him in. Don't you think, Courtney, that if he plays, it'll be 15 fi- snaps? Yeah, something like that. Just Third down pass rush. And I think his presence alone is intimidating. Don't you think, like for the yes. Saints, that just seeing him in uniform and having him over there knowing the type of player he is would matter? Long term, though, I think he takes over the starting role, moves back to his spot, and just goes from there because he's one of the best players in the league. And I wouldn't be surprised, though, if they don't bring him back this week. It's, you know, to get back in football shape, as Mike Zimmer's talked about, I mean, he's been away for five weeks. He's been working out, but to actually play, I think, is different. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they wait until after the bye, maybe get him back into things this, you know, the next two weeks against the Saints and, and when they're game planning for Detroit. But I could also see them using this, you know, as a chance to really – I mean, there's a reason he was added back to the injury report kind of retroactively today, which it's very weird uh, how that happened. But he was on there, so they, can, in my opinion, so they can list him as questionable tomorrow. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, that makes and that really throws a wrinkle at Sean Payton in, in game planning for right. – for, do we, do we know is he gonna? Yeah, do we yeah. know is he gonna play? But I think situational pass rush, kind of what you saw from Anthony Barr there uh, two weeks ago with, sort of with mixing Cardinals in mixing rush, yeah. him in for you know blitzes and and you know using him on third down. You could really get a lot out of him there. But to your point, Stephen Weatherly, who's been over on that right side in place of Griffin, has been fantastic yeah. this year. And I think we expected that. I know some people have kind of wondered where he came from. Well, we like, watch every preseason snap yes. because we have to. Um, but no, what. They're, no normal in, person would do that, but yeah, Weatherly. True. They're in good spot if Weatherly has to play again. Let me ask you a question, Corey. How confident are you that this team is a real Super Bowl contender right now? And how much will you be if they beat New Orleans? I think they're right now. You have to say they're probably the third best team in the NFC, right behind New Orleans and LA. Yeah, I think this game goes a long way in telling you where they're at. Um. 
I'm more excited about the NFC North matchups. Lions, Bears, to yeah. see how we stack up against mm-hmm. those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that will tell us a lot on where we stand in the division. And then, yeah, once you get in. I don't know. I saw enough in the L.A. game to say we can compete with them. On the yeah. right day, Goff was dropping dimes. If he's missing on a couple of those throws, we may win that game. Right. Get a stop or two. Don't fumble at the end. Get in right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, if you have written your name down and put it in the box, then right. you might You might be going to that Lions to, game. So. Really appreciate you stopping by yeah, and telling your story you. and, and talking a little Vikings with us, Corey. And uh, if anybody else wants to chat football, you can. Appreciate it, man. Um, and uh, if not, we're going to wrap up. And then shortly we will give away Vikings Lions tickets. So it's your last chance to stop on over, fill out the little card, put it in our awesome box, and then we will draw from that soon. Courtney, appreciate you coming by. Of course. And great to talk with you as always. And thank you all for listening to this live episode at Lucky's 13 in Roseville.